be to God for his work in our lives. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. As we look at God's word together this morning. Over the last few weeks in particular, we have considered the story of the patriarchs. And what a story it is. A story of of promise and a story of providence that God was working through real people at a real time to accomplish his real purpose. It is a wonderful story. And I hope that you've been blessed by this study. as, As I've read through it, and I have read through this before, and I have preached through many of these passages before, but somehow in the past few months, God has grabbed my heart as we've studied together and has reminded me of the great work that he has for us. And I pray that you've seen that as well. I want to I take this story now, the story of the patriarchs, and I want to conclude it this morning. I want to bring it all together for us this morning. Now, I know what some of you say. Some of you say, well, you haven't covered everything. Some of you probably said, we feel like you covered everything. But there were some earlier that said, well, you got so many other things that you could work out. And certainly we could. Certainly we could talk about Jacob and his relationship to Joseph. And you could get into the Joseph narratives. And you could talk about how God worked through that. And yes, you could see so many other works, so many other purposes that God had for this family. You could do that. But I want to draw it together for us today. One of these days in the future, I hope to be able to come back. Because I'm planning on staying here a little while. Whether you like it or not. I plan on staying here a little while. And one of these days I might bring Joseph back. And we, it'll be a wonderful study then, I'm sure. But I want us to kind of close it out as we look at the last of the classic patriarchs, Jacob. As he, as he gets prepared to meet God. As he gets prepared to, to see what God has prepared for him eternally. And I want you to see how he still has faith. And he still believes in the promise and the providence of God. Genesis chapter 48, it says in verse 1, Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. Here's Jacob, 147 years old, 147 years that he lives. In the last few moments of his life, you'll see here and in the other passages, you'll see that he is still focused upon God and he's still focused upon the relationship that he has not only with him but with his relationship to his family. Jacob He is tying up the loose ends here on his deathbed. And he's reflecting upon God. I want you to see this morning these three truths, these three beliefs that he has, this confidence that he still has. One, he says, I still believe. I still believe in the promise. 
I still believe in the promise that was given by God. Now, it says that Jacob, he, he lies down. And obviously, weakness has overcome him. Age has overcome him. But it is interesting that the writer of Genesis uses his new name to say that Israel rallies up. So Jacob lies down, but Israel, that, that changed man of God, rallies up to see Joseph. And this is what he says again to Joseph. He says in verse 3, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He says, God appeared to me at Luz. Now, what's another name for Luz? I'm going back and re-preaching the series again, obviously. <laughs> Jacob renamed this place Bethel. Oh, yeah, some of you act like you know now. You don't have a clue. You just don't want me to preach that sermon again, probably. The land, the place of Luz. Jacob renamed it Bethel. It was the place where he had come face to face with God. Remember when he was fleeing Esau. Remember when he was trying to, to, to go to his mother's homeland. He has stopped at Bethel. And God appears to him. And God works in his life and God changes his name. And, and it's a place where he comes back to. This second time in Genesis 35, he comes back to Bethel, a place where he can return and remember what God has done. And once again, here he is, 147 years old or so, and he's right there remembering this work that God had done in his life when God had personalized the promise to him. You see, he had heard of how Abraham and Isaac, how they had received the promise of God. How God had said, this is what I'm going to do in your life. I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation, and you're going to have descendants, and I'm going to work through you. But it was there at Luz, or Bethel, that Jacob had experienced the promise for himself. And here, as Jacob is getting prepared to meet God, he reflects upon that moment and he reflects upon the relationship that was begun and he reflects upon the promise. Notice verse 4, he said, And God said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Notice the terminology. Notice how reflective it is of the promise that was initially given to Abram. In Genesis chapter 12. Notice how it reminds you of that same promise that has now run through the patriarchal family. That Abraham knew that God was going to bless him. Remember God had said, if you go where I tell you, I'm going to bless you. And you're going to have this great nation. I'm going to make a name. And, and I'm going to bring a blessing for the whole world from you. That's what God said to Abram. And now as you move forward through the generations, and you move forward through the years, Jacob says, well, he says, God has continued to fulfill his purpose and his promise in my life. He said, I remember it. And I still believe, I still believe in God's promise. Now, when God spoke to Abram in such a way, Abram didn't even have a son, much less a nation. Isaac, God worked in his life to bring forth two children. And now in Jacob's life, God has worked again and multiplied the family. As a matter of fact, it says that 
when they went down to Egypt, there were 70 who went down from the family of Jacob. So notice how the family was multiplying. From those initial beginnings, now the family is multiplying and God is keeping his promise. Jacob is able to look back and say, you know what? I still believe in the promise of God. God said this to me and God has performed this and God is continuing to work in my life. What a wonderful statement of faith. What a wonderful statement of faith for any of us at any age, at any time, right? No matter where we are in the life spectrum, to be able to come back and to say, you know, I believe in the promises of God in my life. I believe God has kept his word to me. I believe God is continuing to speak and God is continuing to demonstrate his truth. And God is continuing to demonstrate his faithfulness. The whole story of the patriarchs begins with a promise. And as Jacob comes to the end of his life, that promise continues. God is one who always keeps his word to us, does he not? I often say that there are a lot of other people, a lot of individuals, even preachers that will let you down in life. But God, well, God is the one that always tells the truth. You can always trust him. You can always believe him. You know, notice the way we use the word promise. We use it quite often, especially in certain circumstances. You know, if someone, we say that we're going to be there, we're, we're going to be there at a certain time. They kind of look at us in such a way, and we respond, I promise that I'm going to be there, right? Or maybe some of you children, you say, I'm going to clean up my room, and your parents look at you like, are you kidding me? And you look at them, you look at your parents, and you say, I promise. We often use the word promise to reinforce this idea of truthfulness, correct? Why? Because a bunch of us don't tell the truth. They know if we just say it, we're not trustworthy necessarily. So we have to reinforce it with this idea of, I promise. Husbands, you ever had to do that with your wife? I promise that I'm going to get to that at a certain point, at a certain time. I promise. We use that terminology a lot in our lives because we have to somehow uh, advance our credibility, our trustworthiness, using the word, I promise. God is not like that. When God promises something, he doesn't have to reinforce it with credibility. He already has demonstrated trustworthiness for us. You can trust him. You can believe him. You can count on his promise. Let me give you a couple of examples of the New Testament. Let's say in the New Testament, may we say that all of us would agree, hopefully we would, all of us would agree that Jesus has said to us that he is going to take care of our basic needs. You remember when he's giving the Sermon on the Mount and he uses the flowers and he uses the birds as examples of how he cares for this world. And then he turns and he says, basically, if God is so concerned for them, God is certainly going to take care of you, his people. So we would believe in this place 
that God takes care of his children. Could we say that? We believe that today? Just shake your head, yes? I want to make sure you're awake this morning. We believe that as a people. That's what we've trusted. That's what he said. But how many of us become alarmed when that bill comes in? How many of us begin to panic when we realize that we've got some medical bills that we are not planned for in our Dave Ramsey budget? Or maybe Dave Ramsey would have, but maybe we didn't. What are we going to do when we think, God, we can't make it? Financially, we can't make it in any other way. God, what are we going to do? And yet you just told me that you believe God has promised that he would take care of the needs of his children. Nowhere does he say he'll take care of our greeds, but he does say he'll take care of our needs. And if we believe that and we trust him, then we can see that faith, well, we can see it realized through Jesus Christ because he will do what he said he would do. Let's get into something a little more, well, a little more eternal. Let's talk about salvation for a moment. This week in Nicaragua, I got to share the story of Christ and the gospel in several contexts. And I would use, well, I would use the scripture oftentimes that says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So when I hear that in the New Testament, it sounds to me like a promise. In other words, if we call upon the name of the Lord, we cry out to him, we know that is an admission of our sin. It means that we want him to come into our lives. We know that that's the call, that's the cry. And if we do that, it says that he will save us. Do you believe God's word when it speaks in such a way? Do you trust that promise? If you do, you recognize that the salvation then is not based upon how good you are. It was never based on how good you are. Salvation has never been based on whether or not you could keep a certain list of rules. You receive salvation and I received it by the very grace of God in our lives. By faith as we called out to him. That's the way we receive salvation. So friends, if that is the way we receive salvation, through the call that we have made to God through his grace in our lives, then why would we come to that point in our lives of doubting or having anxiety? Well, because maybe we haven't done things like we should have. God has not called us to live in doubt and anxiety. He's called us to simply believe to trust him now we fail after salvation we still fail i have said before that i've repented more in my life since salvation than i probably did on the day of salvation because the longer i walk with him and the more i realize i fall short of the glory of god the more i have to come to him and say god i'm sorry it's not getting saved again it's just getting the fellowship right with him my salvation it is a done deal it is sealed before the very presence of God the Father. My salvation is. 
I can look back and I can know. Why? Because I believe God's promise. He said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I did what he asked me to do. I am saved, not based upon my merit and my work, but based upon his truth and his promise. How about to walk spiritually each day? Would you believe in the gospel of John when Jesus said that he was going to send another one, another one that's similar to himself, another one who would come and live in our lives? He said it was actually advantageous for him to leave so that he would send the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit now lives within us. Do you believe that? If you do, then that means that the Spirit of God empowers you to do anything and everything that He has called you to do. God has not just saved you to leave you. God has saved you so that you will serve Him and He wants to empower you through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm saying to you that when Jacob was reflecting as a 147-year-old man, he's looking back and he says, I'll look at what God has done and what God said to Abraham, my grandfather. And God has kept his promise over and over. Even now we have seen the descendants multiplied. And if Jacob can make that confession, I pray that we would too. That we would say we believe God's promises. That we trust in his promises. Well, Jacob not only had seen it in his life, but Jacob also had, well, Jacob had looked forward to it in his family's future. Well, it says in uh, verse 8, as Joseph comes with his two sons, Jacob, whose eyes are dimmed, Jacob says, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they're my sons whom God has given me in this place. Jacob asked for them to come forward. And here in this place, Jacob blesses these two sons. You can go home and read the actual narrative maybe this afternoon. And notice how Jacob now blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. And as they are coming forward, you'll see that Jacob crosses his arms. And actually, he places the right hand on the younger, the left hand on the older, and he blesses them. Now, Joseph protests. Joseph said, hey, Dad, I know you can't see very well, but you just messed up. You just, you, you, Dad, you're blessing the wrong one in the wrong way. Remember, the elder is the one that should be receiving most of the blessing. We know that. Jacob, Daddy, you're... You're wrong. And I love the way Jacob kind of responds. He's like, son, I am never wrong. You ever heard your dad say something like that before? He's like, I am not wrong. I know what I'm doing because Manasseh, the older, the elder, will serve Ephraim. Now, this is the fifth time by my account and by some others of how God will take the younger in the book of Genesis and somehow demonstrate his divine pleasure in such a way, in such a greater way than he would in the, in the elder. Remember Abel and Cain? And God's pleasure with Abel, displeasure with Cain. Remember Isaac and Ishmael? Re remember Jacob and Esau? Remember Joseph and his brothers? And now, once again, God has continued that theme through the book of Genesis. And Ephraim 
receives a double blessing. Now, why is Jacob blessing them? Because he believes that God's promise is going to continue in their lives. That's the reason he's blessing them. He looked back in his own life and he said, Hey, I remember when God came to me at Bethel and how he worked in my life and he affirmed to me that he was going to continue to do the things that he had done in my grandfather's and my father's life. And now Jacob, even as he is about to meet God, he says, I still believe that God's going to work in this family because God's going to continue to fulfill his promise. God's going to even use these boys, he says. These boys. He's going to use them. For what he has planned. What a great promise. That God's work is going to continue on and on. Even through the family. Jacob believed at the age of 147. That God wasn't finished. Jacob believed that God was going to continue to work. And that better things were even ahead. A powerful thing. To have optimism in our lives and hope and confidence that is based on God and His work. Too many of us, too many of us sit sit and cynically speak about the future. And there are days that I join that cynical choir. But I believe that God will continue his work and that God continues his work daily. Whether we're here or whether it's after us, God continues his work. And I even believe his promise that in the future, well, in the future, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for us. I believe that's his promise. And I believe he will continue to fulfill it. It may be in my lifetime. It may be after God has already called me home. But I'm saying to you, God will fulfill his promise. In our generation and in the generations to come. Jacob said, I still believe in the promise. Still believe in the promise. Jacob also said, I still believe in the providence. You know, I said to you that this is a story of promise and providence. He says, I still believe in the providence. What does providence mean? Well, I had written up a little something, a little sentence. I was pretty proud of myself, to be honest with you. I wrote up this little sentence that says, Providence is the idea that God has a hand in the affairs of men and women. That God has a hand in the affairs of men and women. And then I went back and said, oh, something's just not right about that statement. You know what it is? It's that indefinite article. A. You see, God doesn't have just a hand. God has the hand. The hand in the affairs of men. And women. In other words, God, the sovereign God that we serve, the God who is above the universe, has a way in taking our activities and our affairs and bringing them together in such a way to demonstrate His glory and His goodness. That's the God we serve. Notice 
you'll see in verse 15, as Jacob blesses Joseph, as he's blessing, in a sense, the two sons, he says, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel or messenger who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Did you see that in verse 15? God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. Some translations will take that verse and they'll, I think they'll actually translate it in a better way to say something like, God who has been my shepherd all of my life. The God who has been my shepherd. Some of the same language, some of the same terminology that is used by King David in that beloved 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. You hear Jacob? 147. And he says, God's been my shepherd all my life. God's been there. Guiding. Active. God. You see, he believed in God's providence and how God worked out things and activities and that he somehow could work it out for Jacob's benefit and for God's glory. That's what he believed. The one who was the shepherding. Now look, you look at Jacob's life and, well, if he were a member of our church, we would probably say that he had a colored kind of history. It was somewhat good, somewhat bad. I mean, when you had deacon elections, you probably wouldn't put Jacob up as a possible deacon, okay? Because that deception thing with his dad, well, you know, that would have been talked about all through the community. Most likely, it would have been posted on Facebook. I know, I used a reference to Facebook two Sundays in a row. I'm in trouble, I know, but there's no way, Jacob. I mean, when you look at his life, you think to, God was shepherding. But Jacob says, when you consider the collective whole of my life and who I am, God was there for me. And God was shepherding me through the process. You see, even when he had deceived his father, God saw him. God spoke to him there at Bethel. Even when he was with his uncle Laban and he had seen all kinds of issues in his life, God was there. God was blessing. Even when they would want to take advantage, uncle Laban would want to take advantage of him in the way that the, the animals or the herds would be assigned well, God was there with him. Go back and read the story about how God just kept blessing. God kept shepherding. Not all of it was positive. And let me tell you, Jacob had some heartache in life. Back in verse 7, he talks about the day when Rachel died. That was a tough day. Remember, Joseph loved her with all of his heart. Rachel died. Right after that, if you read 
the narrative in Genesis, well, right after that, it says his dad dies. I mean, it's kind of like a boom and then a boom in his life. And then before we know it, Joseph, the 17-year-old apple of his eye. Well, as far as he knows, Joseph dies. You could imagine the heartache and the pain. If you read the narrative of Joseph, and you'll see that Jacob was touched and was hurt. He experienced some tremendous pain. Now, I don't want to minimize anybody's pain or anybody's loss. don't want to do that at all. But my friends, when you lose a child, Jacob, he was hurt. But somehow in the midst of that, in all those things, even as David, who had gone through some of the very similar issues, even in the midst of it, when he reached that age, he said, God has been the one providentially working my life. God has been the one guiding and shepherding me. God has been the one. And can we admit, if, as we look at our lives, that we see the, we've seen the fingerprints of God all over? Sometimes in days when we didn't even think he was there, now we can go back and we can see his fingerprints, his work. Many of you know that I was down in Nicaragua this week, and I left on Monday, came back yesterday, got in. First thing we did was go to the Sam's Club. <laughs> That's a great welcome back to the United States of America. You know what I'm talking about? But when I was in Nicaragua this week, there were so many aspects of it that spoke to me about the providence of God. One, the work in Nicaragua itself and how we have been involved there. How Temple has been involved, how I had been involved even before I had come to Temple. How I was introduced to this slow-talking education minister from First Baptist Menden. Who has many faults. Especially being an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. But how God put him in my path and introduced me to Nicaragua. And here I am, these years later, still going, still going to Temple Baptist Church and knowing this family, how God worked through that. The team itself, and some of you who are here this morning, and we, we prayed for you, and I know some of you had longed to go with us. But to see how God put those folks in the right way, in the right time, some of them from different churches and different backgrounds, for a moment like this week, to know that God works all those things through. For me personally, Leslie asked me how my emotions would deal with things this week when I was there. Because the last time I was in Nicaragua, the last time I was there, Wednesday night, well, that Wednesday night I got a phone call from Dr. Dwight Anderson. And he said, you know, we talked about you coming to Temple Baptist Church and timeline and all the things going on and we can wait for, uh, for a little while longer, but... But if you can give me an answer by in the morning. <laughs> that way we can get the word out to everybody. And we can get this done before Christmas. Well, if I'd known Dwight then, I probably would have answered differently or so. But, 
That night I wrestled with the God. Right out there in that uh, compound. Underneath one of those trees. Prayed to God. Leslie was back in Louisiana and she was praying. And that morning, that morning I knew God was calling. The providence of God. Now, I'll tell you, I didn't know all that was going to be involved. I, I remember the first time Dwight called me like in July, and I stuttered and stammered and said, What? The fingerprints of God. One of the best decisions I had ever made in my life. You look at it, and you see how God works. Jacob, well, he knew the providence of God. He had lost his son, Joseph, or thought he had. But you know what God had done? And we'll look at this later on, one of these years to come. We'll look at it. But Jacob knew what he had done because God put Joseph second in charge of Egypt. Through all this long process, he had put him there and elevated him so that when Jacob and his family, when they were in famine and they were in need, guess who was there to take care of them? Joseph. I love the way, I love the way Joseph says this. To his family in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. He says you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. Talking about his brothers and how they had meant for evil these things. But God had worked it all together. And now Jacob had been in Egypt 17 years. And he had known that God was at work in his life. He had known the blessing of seeing Joseph again. Verse 11, he had said, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. God's been working this whole time, he says. I believe in the providence of God. Now, I'm not a fatalist. I'm not one of these people that think there's no choice. and I'm not a fatalist. But I am a believer in God's sovereignty of being able to take everything in our lives and work it together for his good and glory. The Genesis 50, 20 passage, well, it's the Old Testament, Romans 8, 28, where God works all these things together. And God's at work in your life, and he's working my life, and we, got, we must remember that daily, to believe in his promise, to believe in his providence. And really, when it comes down to it, just to believe in the person, the person of God himself. It's not just about his promise. It's not just about his providence. It's about who he is. And as Jacob says in verse 28, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. He says, I know I'm dying, but God. God is going to be the one with you. God's going to be. Notice that faith and that trust. Even as he's about to approach death. What is he talking about? He's talking about God. And God's faithfulness. And God's work. He's talking about the relationship with God. And it is through the person of Jesus Christ. It is through our faith and our trust in him. That we can. See his will accomplished and his purpose fulfilled in who we are. We believe his promise. We believe his providence for our life. But we believe, well, we just believe him. Just believe in him. 
and what he's going to do. Today in this place, can you confess such faith and trust? Can you say it personally? Not just a story from Jacob's life, but can you say it personally right here in this place? Can you say today, yes, I believe in the promises of God. I'm going to live like it. Yes, I believe God's handprints, his fingerprints are all over my life. Even in the most difficult moments, he's been there shepherding me. God, his providence is true. Can you say today, I believe in him? Believe in him. No matter what's failing in my life, no matter what's difficult, I believe in him and the future that he has for me and for my family and for my spiritual family. Would you hear God as he speaks? Would you respond today? Let's pray together. Father, we do bless your name. And God, the promise of salvation, the promise of fulfilling your need, our needs, God, the promises, Lord, are so overwhelming to us. But God, today, collectively, collectively as a congregation, we confess our trust and our belief in those promises and in you. God, there are days when we admit we don't understand exactly what you're doing, but God, we believe that you are the good shepherd and that you are the one guiding and directing and caring for us. God, today we confess our trust and our belief. Father, work among us. Work during this invitation. Help those who have never called upon you to come and to experience salvation. For those of us who have, Lord, help us to come back, to run back to you and trust you for our daily lives and our eternal salvation. God, we love you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.